Hi, and welcome to Women at Warp, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Join us as our crew of four women Star Trek fans boldly go on our bi-weekly mission to explore our favorite franchise. My name is Grace, and thanks for tuning in. With us this week, we have the whole dang crew. Woo! We've got the amazing Andy. Hello. The sensational Sue. Hi, everybody. And... Jingoistic Jarrett? <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully not too much. Go, go Canada. Canada's the best, except for our long legacy of indigenous genocide. Other than that, <laughs> we have a super hot prime minister, you guys. And also donuts. <laughs> Timmy Hortons, take me away. Today we're going to be answering some listener questions, but we have a little bit of housekeeping to do first. Our show is entirely supported by our patrons on Patreon. If you'd like to become a patron, you can do so for as little as a dollar a month and get awesome rewards from thanks on social media up to silly watch-along commentaries. Visit us at www.patreon.com slash womenatwarp. You can also support us by leaving a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, on to our questions. Much as Aristotle said the unexamined life is not worth living, we believe the unexamined Star Trek episode is not worth watching. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you all, listeners, for keeping us on our toes and helping us remember what we might have missed. So to start out, we've got a a comment from Willow via Facebook. Love your insights as always. Just curious. Are there things you do like about Enterprise? (laughs) Y'all got called out. (laughs) (laughs) and i thought that it made sense to include in the same question a related question that we had from mayan via twitter who Mm -hmm. said dear women at warp i've never watched enterprise as a woman and a trekkie i worry should i so (laughs) yeah we're like let's take the bull by the horns do this question first might as well we're jumping full on feet first into our our pit full of mansplainy sharks. Oh boy. <laughs> so I will take the bullet, I guess. There are things that I like about Enterprise, but in general, they tend to be overarching things. And when you break it down to like episode by episode, they're just littler things that make me cringe. Um, examples of that, I really like the uniforms. I know they're not our standard, you know, Star Trek uniform and our primary colors, but they're super practical and they make a ton of sense. And they, they do look like they could be a really, really early on version of the Starfleet uniforms, like the early functional version. Right. But, and they're so much more practical than anything so else pockets. we ever see. Right. So mm-hmm. many pockets and pants, pants for everyone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cause if you're crawling around Jeffrey's tubes, you want something covering your legs, Right. And your ass. That too. You are literally leaving your ass uncovered otherwise. (laughs) I like a lot of, especially in the later seasons, the more developed, uh, longer storylines when they break them up and do them over a few episodes. Um, Specifically, I really like when they get into the Vulcan storylines. And I actually, I think I'm one of the few people who really enjoys the Zindi arc. I find... The Zindi and the way that their uh, races and cultures are set up to be, I think it's really interesting. And I like, that's a culture that I want to know more about. Mm. They definitely raise a lot of questions. Uh, Not in the sense just that, well, hey, that raises more questions than it answers. But I did like what they were starting to get through with the Zindi. And I, for one, really like the amount of build on Andorian culture that we got to Mm. see. Um, I thought it was really cool that we got to see that sort of first-generation Star Trek alien species get creatively built on some more. Shran. Shran. Yes, (laughs) and Shran. Shran as hell, yes. Um, I'm also just a really big fan of anytime we get to see um, an old species of alien get built on rather than mm-hmm. just kind of tossing in a new half-baked, half-baked species. And again, Tran. Tran. I would say Tran. I even enjoy like the introduction and the conflict with the Makos. Mm. Because yeah, we're, there's even some... You know, we always joke about how it's a military organization, but it's not a military organization. Starfleet, that is. And we yeah. actually get to see them sort of struggle with those distinctions and come to terms with having 
commandos basically on the bridge of a, a starship. Mm-hmm. So there are, are bigger things that I think are really interesting, but there are also some issues. Yeah, I would say I agree. I mean, I would definitely highlight the costumes. I also really like um, a few of the other episodes later on where they brought back some other previous Star Trek cultures in new ways. I really love the episode Judgment that has J.G. Hertzler and Scott Bakula in Verapenthe and sort of talking about the cultural history of the Klingon Empire. I thought that was super cool. I like the Borg episode. So there are definitely, I would say, some standout episodes. I think that overall, you know, the challenge, though, is... It feels like, and if you read like the 50 year mission and some of the other behind the scenes books, it feels like the writers were, uh, and when I say the writers, I mean primarily, uh, Rick Berman were basically just like, phew, we, we're done checking all the diversity boxes. We don't have to try that hard anymore. Yeah. And you can mm. see that filter down even to the background scenes where you'll see like a whole engineering team that's like five white people and four of them are men. Yeah. And if you start to like stack it up against Voyager, it, just, you know, Voyager had a lot of uneven storytelling, too, and uneven characters and underutilized characters, but it just felt more like a future that I still would, like, want to live in. More like a future that isn't just for, you know, the white boys. Yeah. So, I mean, I would say it's worth giving Enterprise a try. I would say, you know, if you start at the very beginning... You might get discouraged. A lot of people get discouraged in the first season. Like you might, if you started watching like the first season of Next Generation right out of nowhere. Um, there's and- Next Generation bad, and then there's <laughs> then there's Enterprise bad. Well, so. it's definitely less campy, funny bad in Enterprise, yeah, yeah. unfortunately. More just. But I'm sure you can find lists of like the best Enterprise episodes. So you could go through and like cherry pick or you could start like near the end of season two and watch what pretty much everyone agrees is the best part of Enterprise and then go back once you already are into the characters. Actually, Wired has a pretty good binge watching guide for it if you want to look it up on their website. Oh, cool. We'll uh, put that in the show notes, too. Or you could be like me and be forced to suffer through all of the episodes and also tweet them. Hey, you brought this upon yourself. It's true. I signed up for it, but uh, I don't know that I'm super looking forward to it. I'm trying to keep an open mind. You got a ways to go yet. Yeah. For further extension, you can be like me and just skip ahead to any episode that's listed in Jeffrey Combs' IMDb listing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'll actually also just say um, I really liked um, Ensign Cutler as well. I mean, it was like tragic that the actors passed away and the the character doesn't stay around for that long but i think that she was a character who um had the potential of being stereotype busting and fun and um that i liked the episodes that she appeared in we've got another question from brian via facebook and it's a pretty recent one not sure if any of the hosts are Whovians, but if so, what are your thoughts on the Doctor becoming a woman next regeneration? I don't think they can be summed up in words so much as, like, pterodactyl screeching. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I kind of I kind of flipped out and, like, just screeched a lot, so that was my initial reaction. I did not expect it to make me as emotional as it did me mm. either i was watching the like trailer thing or whatever and i was like cool 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 and i i knew before the trailer because i saw it on twitter before i found the so i wasn't expecting for that like gut punch and then i mm-hmm. just started crying and i was like why are you crying you big weirdo <laughs> like you knew this Aww. was coming but it really does it it's kind of visceral it's just very exciting I didn't even get it from the trailer as much as I got it from scrolling through my newsfeed afterwards mm-hmm. and seeing so many of my women cosplay friends saying, like, I can finally really be the doctor. Mm-hmm. Not that it, like, was ever a problem to gender bend the doctor. I don't think I know anybody who got much flack for that. But there's something different about it somehow. You know, that, oh, yeah. the fact that you're not gender bending it, the fact that you're not changing the character and you can be screen accurate 
and that's what like struck me really but I think that Jodie Whittaker is going to be phenomenal. I think she's a fantastic actress. Yes, it's still a white person. Yeah, that that doesn't mean a lot. All of our problems are solved. It just means not at all. Hopefully, there yeah. will be more roles for women of color for people of color. I would love it if the companion was also a woman of color for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, I mean, I think Bill blew it out of the park this last season and, um, you know, really clearly demonstrated that you don't need to have a woman companion or, you know, in her case, a queer woman of color companion who, like, sticks into this mold. She was able to have, you know, incredible depth and humor and make you really feel for her but still have a strong relationship with the doctor that wasn't just, like, fawning over him. Yeah, Um, I haven't seen all of Bill yet. I've only seen her first episode because, full disclosure, Stephen Moffat makes me bananas and so i (laughs) i i I stopped watching doctor who which i would never have thought had happened and kind of just on the back burner like i'll catch up someday yeah kind of thing so i've only seen her first episode where she was quite charming and she came out with uh her her peace sign earrings and just like blue i was just like heart eyes but i do hope that they can do better for her and for any other people of color in the TARDIS in general than they did yeah. for Martha, who mm-hmm. still makes me sad because she was such yeah. a leap forward. She was so underserved as a character. Yeah, the, both the show and the fandom just treated her terribly. And so I'm hoping that they can continue to make strides in that area. Yeah, I absolutely adored Bill. No spoilers. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I feel a lot of the ways that you do, Andy, and I think that, like, the underlying reason for so much excitement is because we know we're also getting a new showrunner. Yes. Not only are we getting a woman yeah. doctor, we're getting a new showrunner, a showrunner who has worked with this actor before. And I'm yeah. psyched. Totally. I mean, but, like, to give him credit, I will say that Stephen Moffat ended the season, again, no spoilers, but, like, really, I thought really well. And I think he showran the season far better than most of his previous efforts on Doctor Who. Um, also drives me bananas, especially like Sherlock and stuff. But mm-hmm. um, I, you know, there would be episodes where I would see he wrote it and like cringe. And then I was actually like really happily surprised by the way this past season went. So I'm glad still that there's going to be a change. There needs to be a change. But uh, I, I think that the past season is definitely worth watching, even if uh, you're frustrated with the muff, Grand Muff Stephen. Remember, kids, if anyone's giving you grief saying, oh, well, now the doctor is just a woman, throw some pedantry in their face and say, no, Joanna Lumley, bitches, (laughs) curse of fatal death. Look it up. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's definitely possible in canon. That's just silly. That's silly, nitpicky crap. I mean, there's a million reasons. They've been showing us that for For, ages. Yeah, forever. Like, it's it's been leading up to this. They showed us River regenerating. Uh, in different races they showed us the i think that one time lord guard in the 50th anniversary i think it was who mm-hmm. was a white guy who regenerated into a black woman mm-hmm. you know the, that we had the master the master into missy yeah. yes. so i mean it, they were laying the groundwork for this to be but also acceptable, actual people unquote. change genders in real life so yes. you didn't even yeah. have to like go to you know, aliens. Show that aliens yes. could do it <laughs> It's not sci-fi, y'all. It's actually more believable than a lot of stuff on the show. (laughs) For sure. Um, It was interesting to me because actually I ran across a a piece this past week about the, like, death threats that um, uh, they got when they cast Captain Janeway. And, um, you know, realizing, like, well, you know, we weren't on the internet in the same way as today. And so, you know, I'm sure that the volume was a lot less, but you still had that same kind of, like, I will say, like, fanboy, fan bro outrage mm-hmm. at, like, feeling, you know, people are taking, women are taking over my turf and ruining everything. Um, so Voyager laid some of the groundwork. Yeah. Can I say, too, that that same, like, gut punch that I got when Jody was like, hey, I'm here is the same, like, overwhelming, like, super excited feeling I got watching Holtzman and Ghostbusters just destroy a whole bunch of ghosts and I just literally just went <clears throat> and the same feeling that I got when I was watching Wonder Woman in the very beginning with the Amazons fighting on the beach mm. and I was just like that same like 
it just hits you. And, you know, we talk so much about representation on this show, and I know that it means a lot to me, but it still sometimes surprises me how emotional I get when I get to see things like that. And uh, I just hope that we're, you know, keep going. And I, I mean, I just I just saw the Wrinkle in Time trailer and got <gasps> choked up. And yeah, I'm just... Oh, my gosh! And Black <laughs> Panther is coming. Like, I'm just really excited. I think this is just mm-hmm. such a yeah. cool time to be in sci-fi because it finally feels like we're making some progress. And it's slow and it's painful, but, I mean, we just got to keep going. I cried at Ghostbusters, you guys. I did too. I literally was, she licked her gun and I started crying. I'm not joking. Like I just was like, it's so beautiful. I saw a comedic scientific action hero who is shaped like me. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's never happened before. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And who you can now get action figures of. Yes. Which I have, I think, all of them that they made. Jared, do you want to read our next email from Anthony? Sure. Uh, So Anthony says, I just recently discovered your podcast and I'm loving it. And while I consider myself to have a pretty feminist worldview, your show has brought up some ideas I may have taken for granted and or glossed over in Trek. All that to say, my wife and I will be heading to Atlanta for Dragon Con this year from Ottawa, Canada. Shout out to Ottawa (laughs) for a two year belated honeymoon. Also a very cool honeymoon. Back to Anthony. I am very much hoping your crew will be there and presenting a panel at the rate I am listening to your show. I should just about be caught up by August. So I'm going to just turn the answer over to Sue. Our Dragon Con expert. Woo, Dragon Con! <laughs> Sue's Dragon Con corner. <laughs> I could do that segment all year long. Yes, at least one of us. I will be at Dragon Con. Uh, I have been uh, talking with the people who are running the Trek track at Dragon Con. I have no firm information yet, uh, because one thing about Dragon Con is that the schedule is incredibly fluid, and a panel uh, is subject to change basically until it is over. So, (laughs) uh, But as far as I know, I am hoping that there will either be a panel titled Women at Warp, as it has been, I think, the last two years, or uh, women of Star Trek that that I'll be on. So that that is the hope. If there, when there is more uh, settled slash public information, it will be here on the podcast. Awesome. Are you going to be on the app this year? I am going to be on the app this year. I am an, officially an cool. attending professional this year. So Ooh. you can search for me, and uh, it will give you my full panel schedule. Me and Grace are also going to be at Star Trek Las Vegas in August. And so I guess like not too long after this episode comes out. So that's super exciting. And uh, we will share with you our our itinerary. We're still sort of figuring out, you know, the meetups and all the the various like network things. But it looks like we're going to be sharing a table in the vendors room with Priority One, our sister podcast on the Roddenberry Network. So uh, come look for us there and uh, keep an eye on social media for more on our schedules. And just for more craziness in general. Yeah, generally, you know. Okay, um, while we still have Sue's attention, do you want to read our next comment from Facebook? Sure. So Marie wrote, I'd love to hear what everyone's thoughts are about Wonder Woman, especially as the ending is Star Trek-esque. In my opinion, it's been done better in Trek and elsewhere, of the alien seeing the, quote, good in humanity. I'm sure there's a bunch of apps across the series that deal with this, too. I know you don't cover other topics, but an episode of... Of the alien's perspective, Q is another whole bag, would be cool to see where it works best or worst. Hmm. I hadn't thought about that. It does kind of have a Star old-school Trek ending, doesn't it? Like, oh, these humans, they can learn. It's kind of like a Doctor Who ending in that way. (laughs) Hmm. It's a pretty just old-school sci-fi ending, really. Yeah. Yeah, like the powerful alien realizes the humans are worth protecting, even though they're sometimes stupid and kill each other. Because sometimes they look like Chris Pine. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes. I liked Wonder Woman. I wish that there had been a little less focus on the dudes and a little more focus on Diana. But overall, I thought it was well done and well made, and it certainly got legs. And it's certainly shown that women can carry a comic book movie. I mean, I don't think we ever have to like 
ever have to hear about Supergirl and Catwoman ever again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, suck it. Studios. <laughs> That's basically what I have to say about Wonder Woman. Is like, I I personally had some issues with the with the movie, but overall, like, there were several moments, as I said earlier, like the the Amazons on the beach, the No Man's Land sequence. Like, I was sitting there, like, yes, finally. And I would like to point out that my mom, who has not seen a movie in years, I mean, we're talking like at least a solid five years, went out of her way. And asked me to take her to Wonder Woman because she was so excited. So, I mean, that right there, I'm really hoping hoping that these numbers that Wonder Woman is putting up and that the you know strides Patty Jenks has made will finally get some more investment in big blockbuster women's stories. That's my hope. Mm-hmm. I was really stoked by the movie. I had... Um- Again, it's by no means a perfect movie, but it was it was really cool to get a big blockbuster summer flick that was not only led by women, but focused on a woman character. It was so cool. There was one thing that really still just kind of, mm, kind of chaps my butt a little bit. At the very end, because I'm one of those weirdos who has to read the credits, looking through all of the comics professionals thanked in the making of the movie... It's kind of a sausage fest, mm-hmm. which didn't feel quite right, you know? Yeah. Like, Wasn't it, weren't there, like, specific women de- who were very, like, who were notably left out who had written several, you know... Gail Simone. Gail yeah. Simone. Yeah, that's what I thought. So, like, Gail Simone was totally left out. So they basically just were like, all the men who ever wrote Wonder Woman, thanks. Yeah, what mm. the hell, guys? And it's, it's interesting because Gail Simone loved it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What's not to like? There was a lot to like there. I just think that that was a bit of a missed opportunity there when they could have really highlighted some of the incredible talent uh, who aren't guys who have worked with Wonder Woman in the past instead of just, you know, the same DC dude lineup. Yeah. I will say that, like, I loved Wonder Woman. I think that it started to weaken, though, for me, like, after the No Man's Land scene, when they get to the village and everything after that was kind of, to me, it just started to be, feel like a little bit more cheesy and not as much fun. And I think that DC still struggles with figuring out, like, they've definitely figured out now how to inject humor, but they still haven't super figured out how to have fun. And, um, so I think that that, you know, the inspiring parts really carried the beginning part of the movie. And uh, there was a lot of really funny scenes. I really liked how, um, you know, even though Diana is naive in uh, leaving Paradise Island, she's not ever shown as not competent or like needing yeah. Steve Trevor to, to rescue her. Like, she's just like, I'm going to do it my way. And I really like that. So even though, you know, there could be some poking fun at her, it wasn't in a way that was insulting or demeaning. She isn't the butt of the joke there. If anything, our society was the butt of the joke. They're like, look how stupid it is that they would sideline her or treat her like this. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) I will say I agree that it got a little cheesy, but I thought that was kind of part of the charm, that it really leaned into the camp aspect. And the sincerity. Yeah, whereas with a lot of the DC movies of late, the big problem we've had is they're trying so hard to be the opposite of camp that it gets ridiculous. And surprise, it gets to not even be fun camp. It just gets silly. Mm -hmm. But Wonder Woman, I thought, kind of embraced that and was just like, well, we're going to have a single woman running against an army now, and it's going to be great. Mm Mm-hmm. And I really appreciated that. Bringing it back to Star Trek and Marie's point about alien perspective. I -hmm. actually was thinking about this a lot today because I was thinking about this in regards to DS9. Because I finally saw The Way of the Warrior, which has the root beer conversation between (laughs) Garrick and Quark. And and it really highlighted for me how much I love that about DS9, like that alien perspective on the Federation and Mm -hmm. like that outsider perspective, because especially in TOS and TNG, I mean, there are episodes where they kind of examine the Federation and Starfleet and human humanity in general, but 
really we've kind of gotten to like this foundational Starfleet is good. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like what they're doing is right. And I'm not even saying I disagree, but it is fun to explore that from like a perspective of ugh, Starfleet, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, I think that that would be something that would be cool to see. And one reason why I love having alien characters be regulars on these shows, because that's something you can't do in any other genre. Mm-hmm. No. And why not embrace that? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that would be cool. We could probably fill an episode with that because, I mean, well, we have to do a Q episode on its own, but there's certainly, you know, the ways that, uh, like, the Klingons look at the Federation, the Vulcans look at the Federation at Enterprise, or it's not even, you know, Starfleet. And uh, there's, uh, I think one of my favorite exchanges is another one in Deep Space Nine where in in the cards where Nog and Jake are talking and Jake is trying to borrow money from Nog and Nog is like, why don't your people have money? And he's like, we're above money. And he's basically like, oh, so you just need to borrow mine. And <laughs> like questioning like, how how would you actually make this work? And I want to believe that is possible, but it's like good to kind of, you know, poke a little bit at that, uh, you know, shiny exterior a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, the Ferengi in general are good for that because in it, we hold them in such contempt. So, mm-hmm. like, there's another Quark moment where he's like, you think you're better than us, but you're not. Mm-hmm. And I actually think that's that's pretty cool perspective. And especially coming from Quark and the Ferengi, it really makes you go, wow. It's like, humans used to be a lot worse than us. And we didn't, we didn't, we're not like you, we're better than you. And mm-hmm. Cisco going, whoa, man, whoa, it rocks his world. And you're, you have to sit and think, I mean, yeah, the Frangi are not great, but neither are humans. And <laughs> maybe yeah. it's time to get off our high horse, you know? So I, I, I think that idea of the alien perspective is really useful in genre fiction and, um, something that Star Trek should absolutely embrace often. It's where some of the richest storytelling in Star Trek comes from. Andy, do you want to take our next Facebook comment? Sure. Uh, Daniel from Facebook uh, regarding our sexual agency episode. Great episode, but I have an issue with something. There's a point, almost a throwaway line, about how Bellana made holoduck hunks in one episode. The response was to the effect of, good for her, she knows what she wants, indicating that shows sexual agency. However, I doubt that if you were to look at any number of scenes involving bikini models, example, Quark, and If Wishes Were Horses, or any Risa episode, you'd say the same thing. It would be seen as objectifying women. While I'm aware of the long-standing cultural bias of catering to men's appetites and not women's, objectifying men and calling it women's sexual agency seems problematic. Am I misunderstanding how you are interpreting scenes such as these? Okay, well, there's a couple different issues here. Um, yeah. So um, when I... Uh, after this episode on sexual agency, we talked a bit about like holodeck fantasy people and where do you draw the line? And it's a little bit different in Bolana's case because she's creating these like hunks it for like this, you know, party sort of like luau party thing. And clearly like there are holographic men and women. And part of the thing is, I think does, isn't it that she sees like the women that Paris and Kim have created and she's like, uh, uh, Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think something like that. So that's a little bit different than like in the Barkley episode, we talked about how, you know, where it starts to get particularly squicky is when people create holograms of people who actually exist, because it would feel super gross and violating your privacy to know that people were making like sex bots of you basically when the Starfleet computer has all your like personality traits in your voice and your physical specs down. Um, so it would be like eerily similar. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say that like, you know, putting the question of objectification aside, it, one of the reasons this wouldn't bother me as much is because like, they're not real people. They, but Maybe that increases the problem because then they're literally objects. I I think a lot of it, I mean, does have to do with agency. 
And the problem with hologram people is they have none. Right. So for me, it's always a little bit gross. But at the same time, is it different than like what we could do with a computer now and like make animated characters? I mean, okay, so uh, yeah, and like I said, it, because this is at like basically a party where you're there with your crew members, it could have that effect. Even so, like just because the bar's already been set with having women in bikinis doesn't necessarily mean like it's cool to have men in bikinis. It it just like it depends on the society and how you're treating those images and whether those images reinforce a negative existing view that's there. So I would say like just judging by the way things are on Voyager, you definitely have in those early seasons like Kim and Harry the way they talk about like the Delaney sisters mm-hmm. is a little bit um you know making maybe not treating the women as full humans. Yeah. Um, and uh and the same with the holodeck babes. And, uh, but you don't, you don't really see any examples of the women treating men like that. So to say that, like, creating a couple guys in boxers would, like, lead to mass objectification of men or, like, reinforce that, it's harder because there isn't, I don't think, that same objectification happening to begin with. I think a lot of times when we see this sort of thing on, in shows or in, in our stories, it's in actuality the the women characters aren't necessarily doing it because they want that there, but more to make the men feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Like a sort of turnabout is fair play aspect. Like, do you see what this feels like now? Is mm-hmm. I think what we get a lot of the time. I could see Bolana taking that action. I could also see Bolana actually wanting them there we don't know what that motivation is supposed to be or if it's just supposed to be a joke you know did the writers even think past that well in the way of the warrior there is a holodeck scene where dax is trying to get kira to loosen up and they have some hottie mchotties in there Mm -hmm. and then also apparently they go into arthurian legend and try mac on lancelot which uh Kira does not understand. So I think there are examples of, of women doing that in this mm-hmm. kind of the same way. I don't know when, if for me, the, the, the line I would draw is the real person. Mm-hmm. If I really just, I, I see why it's a little bit creepier because they are so lifelike. And because if you're talking Voyager, you're also getting into, well, the doctor is kind of a person, mm-hmm. but for me, it's it's like when when Barkley did it to Troy or when Jordy did it to Leah Brahms. That mm. that to me is over the line because they're real people, and not only are they real people, they're real people you'd interact with on a on a in a professional setting. Or and also Dabo girls, <laughs> yeah. Or versus Dax and and Kira getting their Mac on in Arthurian legend. Like that to me is not nearly as creepy. Yeah. So then like, I mean, okay. The double girls is also another topic. So I'll try not to get like too deep into this because they're also, you know, a type of sex worker. Um, but the way that Quark treats them as a boss to his workers is, you know, easier to parse. And I think that would also make that problematic because they're not, just playing like fictions of someone or figments of someone's imagination. Mm -hmm. They're his employees. And same with the like women on Ryza who are bikini models. There's also some pretty cute dudes on Ryza. Yeah. But uh, that would be another thing too, is it's like, you know, there, there is a degree though, that those people have agency for being in that situation. So gosh, this is complicated. (laughs) Yeah. No, no real people holograms. Let's go with that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I imagine that if we're talking realistically, if we got to holodeck um, technology, not only would it be real people, it would be celebrities. Yeah, it would be. I mean, you would get it would get way out of control real fast. I can tell you that. I mean, like just fanfic alone, like you want to you want to like if you take peruse some fanfic 
the amount of real person fan fiction that is out there is mm-hmm. huge, and I have always found it super gross. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, your mileage may vary. To take it back to the question, though, <laughs> I think that whether something is objectification or not is not in the creation of the holodeck characters, but in the treatment of those characters once they have become part of your program. That's a good point. And actually, because I just saw this and the way of the warrior at one point, Dax asks, asks them to leave because she thinks Kira is being rude to them. And Kira <laughs> goes, what, you think I'm going to hurt their feelings? And Dax is like, boys, go, go wait outside. Wait outside. <laughs> so I mean, there's <laughs> that's an interesting point. Soon, I think really the heart of the matter. Mm-hmm. Good call. I, I mean, if we're talking too, like Barkley also uses a Troy program for like therapeutic purposes, like just a conversation. Like, is that creepy? You know. So there are a lot of layers there. But real talk, if I had a holodeck. It'd be gross. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Jared, do you want to take our next email? Sure. Uh, Janet wrote us an email saying, I don't remember if Jared or Sue said this in the episode Best Male Allies, but it was something about how Trip is dismissive of T'Pol's culture even when they're together. At first, I thought that was ridiculous. He was a gentleman and took her wishes into account in Breaking the Ice and Home. More like her mom's wish, but still her decision. I'm also a shy introvert and ashamed I didn't notice Trip pressuring her to go on a date or at the very least enabling Archer's bad behavior. Because I ship him with T'Pol, I thought it was cool they were dating, even though it wasn't romantic. It's very difficult to deal with because Trip is my favorite Enterprise character. I believe people didn't notice this type of behavior from Trip because he's the most popular Enterprise character. See the Trek BBS poll. He and T'Pol are also a popular couple. Uh, do you see any other instances where fans give Trip a pass they would never give to other characters. Not among us. I thought that that was, uh, that was interesting. Um, just like this acknowledgement too of how important like shipper identity is in fan communities and this sense that you could like be betraying your, the people in your community if you acknowledge, you know, maybe the Jane Witch and relationship's a little tra- problematic or, you know, maybe, uh, I can ship Spock and McCoy, as well as Spock and Uhura, or Spock and Kirk. You can have multiple ships. That's called an armada. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can't speak to Trip and to Paul because I haven't seen them yet. But I, the most interesting thing from that comment to me is the idea that we give passes to our favorite characters, even if their pro- their behavior is terrible. And we definitely do that. Everyone does that. Like, right off the top of my head, I'm thinking, like, Tyrion from Game of Thrones. He has done some serious crap, but everyone still loves Tyrion, you know? Like, it's mm-hmm. it's it's just kind of your natural mindset. If you like the character, you're going to make excuses for their behavior, even if it's terrible. I'm also of the opinion that you can like, t- like characters that are terrible people. You can still love mm-hmm. them as characters. And, in fact, some of the Definitely. best characters ever written are terrible people. So there's that. (laughs) Well, I think it's really interesting what, like, shipping communities have become. Uh, Because I haven't been active in in Star Trek, like, fanfic communities in a really long time. Longer than I want to admit. But, (laughs) like, I, when I was, I don't remember this, like, well, you're this shipper and I'm this shipper and therefore we hate each other. The shipping wars! Crossover was so common, like, and but you'd see also patterns, like, a lot of Picard Crusher shippers are Rosalind Adama shippers, are Janeway Takote shippers, you know, there's a lot of... They that. have types. They have but, types. But, yeah, but there's so much, like, infighting now that even when I'm on the periphery of it, I'm like, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, going back to the original question, I will say, so then I was like, this is a really interesting question. So like, let's look at Trip a bit in more detail. And, um, you know, overall, I think that other than the stuff around women, he's pretty good. Like, um, the other issues we've complained about before, like the broiness and episodes like Two Days and Two Nights and uh, Shuttle Pod 1 
is another good example of that. Um, and uh, that just sort of, I mean, that would be like, you know, treating women as objects. Like, let's go lie to these women to get them to sleep with us because they're hot and, you know, they might have multiple eyes, but at least they're not dudes. Mm. Um, uh. and, um, and certainly in that, in the early episodes, the, you know, the dinners they have with Archer and Trip and to Paul are often Archer and Trip or just the interactions kind of ganging up onto Paul to change. But overall, um, like I think when we see him as an engineer and supervising his team as like a team leader, um, I think that he's pretty positive. Um, basically all the stuff that I can think of where I had issues with him has to do with him and to Paul. The other occasion of that would be, um, there's a couple times where he questions her command decisions to a point that, would have, I think, been really unacceptable on almost any of the other ships. Like, they're, um, Archer's kidnapped and she's in charge and she says, we're gonna leave or basically, you know, prepare to leave. And he gets super upset and he's basically ready to take over the ship. And she's like, I said, prepare to leave. I didn't say we were actually leaving. And there's a couple occasions like that where, uh, he's like basically ready to wrest control of the ship from her before letting her, t- um, say, like, make her case. So, yeah, I mean, I can, I can see that there's some compelling aspects of their relationship, but for me, it's just that that's the worst part of his character is how he relates to women. Everything else, I'd be happy to work underneath him. <laughs> In addition to some pretty great questions we get on a regular basis, every now and then we get a really intense comment that we just have to look into a little more. Who wants to share? I will take this. So we got uh, some awesome emails from Kathy Langley about our fanfic episode and uh, multiple multi-page emails with so much research and that I think she had done a lot of it before, but um, she wrote as by way of introduction she wrote, being known as a fanosaur, I've always been interested in features of fanish history, and your podcast discussion was fascinating. And I have to laugh when I hear how frustrating it is to research an area that's not readily available online. Welcome to the world I grew up in. And uh, later in one of her emails, she writes, I will have to say that I was a little disappointed that a discussion of pre-internet fandom did not include more on gen fanzines, meaning general fanzines, uh, fanzines, as in not slash. Uh, after all, the earliest zines were only Jen, and even after Kirkspock appeared, it in no way dominated the zine fandom. That is 100% accurate. There are a ton more Jen fanzines. Um, we were also, you know, trying to cover close to, you know, 1970-ish to 1995-ish. In, in one episode. So I think we tried to hit a lot of the, the, the highlights and or the big changes. You guys correct me if, if I'm using incorrect verbiage here. <laughs> but um, I think now, and the reason why we probably seemed to focus a lot on the slash fic, is that that's the idea of fanfic that a lot of people have in their heads. I think it's also the most, maybe one of the most surprising aspects of early fanfic because, you know, we have uh, an assumption that I think is is not wholly correct that, you know, people in the 1970s were more, well, I mean, certainly there was more risk in writing about homosexuality. Um, and uh, so it it is... I think challenging to some of our assumptions to show that there was such an active and passionate group of people writing slash fiction going back decades. My favorite is the assumption that before our generation, people just weren't as pervy. (laughs) (laughs) Wrong. Not true. Well, along those lines, um, another part of uh, Kathy's email says there was a point of comment about the, quote, divide in fandom regarding sexual fiction, that it was a black and white issue and fans were either for it or against it, particularly slash fiction. Yes, there was a fierce divide... Sorry. Yes, there was a fierce divide between the Kirk Spock and the anti-Kirk Spock fans, and a lot of dissent doesn't begin to cover it. However, there were, in fact, fans who could take it or leave it. Fans, for example, who could read 
Kirk, Spock, and not be offended by it, but without endorsing the concept at all. Yep, that totally makes sense. I mean, I think that goes to what you were saying, Stuo, too, about, like, the community, um, you know, that... Uh, certainly the community I used to be uh, more of an active part in as well with different fandoms. There were a lot of, you know, people where you'd be like, oh, I could never read that pairing. But, you know, maybe you don't, you aren't like angry at people for writing it. And then there would be people where you're like, well, you know, I ship these two characters, but occasionally this one character and this other character. So if you're writing stuff about that, I'm cool with it. Or I'm just going to read your thing because it's a good story. What I always love about that attitude of I would never read that is the fact that it's like, dude, no one's asking you to. (laughs) Okay, so don't. Uh, Not assigned reading, bro. Yeah, we definitely, in any conversation, I think, tend to focus on the pro and the con. While I think there are always people in the middle who are just like, what's the big deal? Yeah. I have read some seriously unusual ships. For all sorts of fandoms that I would never, ever, ever thought to ship together, but people can make it work. Just got to keep an open mind. I will say that the most disappointing thing about Kirk Spock is that they don't call them Spork. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, oh my goodness. We're going to do a whole episode on ships at some point too. Um, and uh, then maybe we can talk about maybe some of the ones that are like, well, that really doesn't float your boat. But for me, it's like, I remember one time coming across like a Kira Ducat fan fiction. I'm like, no, uh, no, 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 no. Yeah. And like, okay. Sometimes you see a description and it sends your eyes to hell. <laughs> yeah. But you know, I'm sure we could talk about more articulately why like some things would appeal to you know, us individually or not. <laughs> yes, if we're going to quickly go down this rabbit hole, I got to tell you that there was one writer back in the day who wrote Riker Crusher. <laughs> oh, uh, that's unusual. It was interesting. And I didn't hate it as much as I thought I would. Yeah, man. Rare pairs can be really, really interesting. And often yeah. the thing that I love about rare pair writers is they're writing it for themselves most of the mm-hmm. time because yeah. literally nobody is sitting there going, where's my sweet, sweet Riker Crusher fic? You know, <laughs> so like half the time the rare pair people start a new ship that nobody ever yeah. thought to, like if you get a good fic under that pairing, you can start a whole like cascade of writing for it. It's pretty amazing. I've seen that happen in Dragon Age fan fiction. I don't want. I don't read Star Trek fan fiction because I'm afraid of spoilers, so I don't read it. And mm. I'm looking forward to eventually getting into it. But that is such a cool thing about, like, just the weirdest pairings. They were like, "Say what?" Mm-hmm. And then you yeah. read it, and it's mm-hmm. amazing. And then other people are like, "You know what? I see that." And then they start writing uh-huh. other fic. It's pretty cool. Uh, Fanfic in general is just my favorite thing, man. Well, this. You know what I really. You know what I really like to think? That in the same way some people hunt for rare books or rare collectibles, that we're going to reach a point where there's people who are just like, come and see my collection of weird-ass rare pairing fics. <laughs> I think that's kind of happening with fanzines, though. Like, But this the Riker Crusher writer started with a fic that was these two characters dealing with the aftermath of the host. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Right, because the show never did, and then just kind of continued. But my favorite current Star Trek writer, because I still read the fic even if I don't participate in the communities, writes, brace yourselves, Janeway Crusher. Oh, nice. Mm. I, I can see that. And I love it. And for the longest time, it was just her writing this pairing. And as you were just saying, like a small but active community has built up around it and there are several people writing this pairing now and it's awesome it's awesome because you've got these like two at this point in time older super competent scientist ladies in this relationship together and it's super great they also have a cat named da vinci (laughs) oh thick is the best i can't wait till we do (laughs) another fanfic episode it's gonna be bananas oh and Best believe we are. And by the way, I am totally right now calling it Raiders of the Crack Pairing. (laughs) (laughs) There's going to be like a warehouse full of them someday in the future. It's going to be great. 
Of course, that means you're going to find one someday that's so bad it melts your face off. But still. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so definitely um, thanks to Kathy for the letter. And um, she copied Erica, too. So, um, you know, that's uh, we're all looped in. And uh, hopefully, um, you know, Erica will be done her research at some point and we can hopefully share some of the results with you maybe on our blog or social media and that will be super cool i'm hoping that erica eventually writes a book because yeah i think that not only is that book something that i would read walk over broken glass to read i think erica is the perfect person to write it Mm -hmm. god i can't wait to read that book (laughs) in the meantime you can just read Riker Crusher fanfic. Or even better, Janeway Crusher fanfic. Um, we also included actually several resources in the show notes for the fanfiction episode. So if you head back to that episode on our website, you can see the uh, books and other resources we referenced there. And maybe when we do part two, we'll link to some of our favorites. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> The problem is, is I don't have any Star Trek fic wrecks. I have one million for Yuri on Ice and Dragon Age, though. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll so get there. So many of mine are so old that I think the places that they were all hosted are gone now. <laughs> Angel Fire. All Angel Fire. Live Journal. Angel Fire. Live Journal. Trekiverse. When it still Praise existed. Praise be to the Wayback Machine. ASC Archives. There was one that was called, like, the Picard Crusher Story Archive. Man, I miss that website. Yep. I used to (laughs) frequent the JC Story Archive, for sure. The Jesus Christ Story Archive? (laughs) (laughs) Janeway Chakotay. Jesus made only occasional appearances. Most of the time, he was kind of scandalized. (laughs) I feel like Jesus would be down with it. I mean, he's a hip dude. He's with it. Oh, my. (laughs) So once again, thanks to everyone who's written into us and all of our supportive listeners and fans. Where can you find, can supportive and interested fans find you on the internet, Jara? Oh, well, you can find me on uh, Twitter at Jara Penguin, that's J-A-R-R-A-H Penguin, or on Tumblr at TrekkieFeminist.com, because I bought the domain. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. And what about you, Andy? Easiest place to find me is on Twitter at First Time Trek, where I'm live tweeting through my first time through Star Trek. And you, Sue? You can find me on Twitter at Spaltor, that's S P A L T O R, and I would be more than happy to share some of my favorite fanfics with you. And again, I'm Grace, and you can find me on Twitter at BonecrusherJank. And if you'd like to contact our show and possibly be featured in a future mailbag episode, Ooh. You can email us at crew at women at warp.com or you can visit our Facebook or our Twitter at women at warp or any other ways that I'm forgetting, guys. Smoke signals. <laughs> oh, you can go to our website, women at warp.com and leave comments. Pigeons. Yep. Yes. Uh, uh, fair warning, though, our cat will eat the carrier pigeons, so we won't actually be able to respond mm. to your message. <laughs> <laughs> Not right away. All of our cats are basically waiting by windows, ready to eat birds at all times. And for more podcasty goodness from the Roddenberry Network, visit podcast.roddenberry.com. Thanks so much for joining us. Mm-hmm.